This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. We are back again for another installment of the A24 retrospective series. So for the last entry in this series, it was episode 246, and that was for Ex Machina, which featured the fantastic Canadian director, Jeremy Lalonde. For today's episode, we have someone just as wonderful and just as talented, and that is Jerrica Tadeo. Jericho, did I say your last name right? <laughs> Sorry. You did, yes. You did. You did. Okay. Thank you. Seriously? I that I meant dad. to ask you ahead of time. No, because like that—that's the actual uh, pronunciation. But my dad, weirdly, he always said "tadio," which oh. I thought was weird because didn't like this come from you? Thing? I don't know, but yeah, you said it right. Kudos okay. to you. You can keep this in Dakota, actually. Let's just keep going here. Yeah. Um, so Jericho is the lead editor at MovieWeb, and he is an immensely talented writer who's also contributed to The Edge, The Nerd Daily, and many, many others. He is also the Asian Cuts resident critic at large. And if I'm going to speak on behalf of Rose, Alicia, and myself, we are very grateful for everything that he's done for the site. And I have genuinely been really enjoying getting to know Jericho over this last year. So finally, welcome to the podcast, Jericho. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I have never been introduced in such a way. So I'm (laughs) going to cut that audio and then just play it whenever I meet somebody new because (laughs) I think it was perfect. I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. We're excited to have you. Dakota, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm very excited that Jericho is here. I, I like this continuation of uh, us just basically pilfering your writers on the Asian cut to come on here. It's It's been a great experience, and I really appreciate that so many of them wish to come on the podcast. Wow, so I'm not the first? Well, okay, you are the first <laughs> that isn't me, Rose, or Alicia. So that I think that says something. Okay. Because Rose and Alicia, they don't really count, do they? They're just... <laughs> Do they know like, we, they we did count? this together <laughs> we did this together jericho is the first like proper writer like you rose rose and you you and rose knew each other um from i guess you guys worked together beforehand yeah. uh, and that was how jericho came to the asian cut and um he's yeah I, i'll say this as if you're not here he's been absolutely amazing and then i'd say a few months ago me and alicia and rose were talking and we were saying how we wanted to incorporate Jericho more into the Asian cut, but we didn't quite know how. And so we were tossing around like different ideas of how we could bring him in and things like that. And then we rested on the term critic at large because we saw that I think the New York Times had it. So we were like, it's good enough for the New York Times. We're going to use that too. <laughs> so then we were like, Jericho's our critic at large. And it sounds impressive. It's so impressive. And I was so excited. But then, you know, there's also the part of me that. 30 years old and was like more work what do you mean <laughs> but no it's been it's been very it's been very exciting to uh be more closely um working more closely with you rose and alicia because you guys are wonderful thank you and i feel like you get it like i mean most people i think who do write for the agent cut get it but it's like you kind of get the idea of why we started it and why we want to keep doing it as well because um yeah you share the same frustration like we've talked about it before where we kind of have the same frustrations about Mm -hmm. a lot of outlets just not really taking in asian centric product not products projects they love asian centric products though everybody loves those um 
but yeah, so it's it's been really great to have you on. And I'm excited that we finally got you on the podcast because um, you were, I think actually, was it, I'm going to actually admit here, I think Dakota, it was your idea to get Jericho on. I think so. I, I yeah. think we were talking, because we try to bring in new guests all the time for this A24 retrospective series, uh, I think I was just thinking of people who, who might be of interest to us, and I was like, hey, anyone from the Asian cut, maybe someone like Jericho would be potentially interested, and uh, and you were like, yeah, I'll reach out to him and see what uh, he has to say. And that was a while ago, a few months ago, if I remember yeah. correctly, because we usually try to plan these out a little bit in advance to kind of give some some heads up. We do have calendar that we kind of have to work around a little bit as far as festivals and award seasons go so fitting in a24 retrospective episodes can sometimes be a little tricky yeah so i'll, I'll admit jericho it wasn't my idea i do really like you though but as you, <laughs> so could, you, did as you heard but as you heard from like us talking before we got onto this po- i'm barely here my brain is just not working <laughs> at all i'm just not even thinking most of the time um, anyways, why don't we get to it? So I actually don't think I mentioned this week's episode for A24 Retrospective is going to be on Slow West, uh, which was a movie that came out in 2015. But as always, before we get into actually talking about the movie, um, we have a new guest on, a new host, I guess not a new host, new guest on. Um, so we'll go over the A24 four questions. So... Let's start with the first one. Jericho, what are your top three A24 movies? Okay, so I spent countless hours mulling this over, (laughs) and I'm pretty sure I'm not the first one who said this. Um, It's just such a hard question to answer. And I will preface by saying I have not seen Past Lives yet, so I feel like my three will change when I see that. And yesterday it came out on VOD. So bear with me on my list. But at number three, I have Close. Um, I think it's like a Belgian French yes. movie about mm-hmm. the two kids. I I don't know. It just spoke to my, my childhood. And I, of course, researched it after. And everyone was saying how it was emotionally manipulative, which I don't understand as a criticism because... That's the point. That's Every the point movie of movies. Every movie does that. But yeah, that's that's one of my top three. And then, of course, Moonlight. Moonlight was like um, one of the biggest A24 films for me that really opened my mind to like, I guess, cinema and its capabilities. And then number one, not just my favorite A24 film, but my absolute favorite film ever is Under the Skin. Oh, I had under the skin in my top three, and I will say close was in my top ten last year. It was, yeah, for movies generally. I loved those ones as well, and I love Moonlight too. Like, don't get me wrong, I love those. But I'm um, fantastic choices. But I am also very excited for you to watch Past Lives because Dakota. I am so scared to watch Past Lives. Yeah, I I just watched it last night. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god! I think you're gonna love it. it. It's it's not as okay. Dakota, you can say it's not as sad as people think it is. I thought it was going to be way sadder. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It, it. I think they did a quite the number on the trailer of making mm-hmm. it look like this really devastating romance, but it's it's not. I don't think it's a sad movie per se. But but anyways, no. I I think those choices that you made um, are absolutely excellent. What was it about under under the skin that really got you? I I don't know. I, it was a. Uh, I watched it at TIFF. 
when it was here, I think it was mm-hmm. 2013, 14. And I was a baby. It was just, I hated it at first. I was like, what the hell did I just watch? This was a waste of my time and money. And then uh, when it came out on uh, hard media, I bought it and I rewatched it. And now it's a film that I return to whenever I feel, whenever I question like my line of work or what the point of me writing about movies is. Um, Under the Skin just sort of reinforces just because, I don't know, it's just like Scarlett Johansson's alien learning about herself. And I think at the time, and even now, um, I can still relate to that uh, point of self-discovery. I also wrote my thesis on Under the Skin and Scarlett Johansson as a as an actress and a celebrity in like the early 2010s, I thought Under the Skin was very indicative of her career path. So. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with Under the Skin. <laughs> what made you want to get it on DVD if you didn't like it so much when you first watched it at TIFF? I think it was, oh my gosh, that was like 10 years ago. Um, I don't know. I think maybe it would have been a mix of people saying it was really good or okay. it was um, because Scarlett Johansson like I wasn't really paying attention to her until I saw the winter soldier and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I kind of like you. So whenever I find an actor that I really like, I go back and like watch their filmography just to know more of their work. And so maybe that it was like a compounded um, thing. I've done it before where there's movies that I just really don't like, but I kind of like, there's like, I have an inkling that there's something about the movie that is very good and not very good, but like something that's interesting about it. And so it compels me to go back, even though I really like Ad Astra is that for me, I really didn't like Ad Astra when I first saw it. And then I don't know why, but something just kind of compelled me two years later to watch it again. And then I loved it. And now I like, it's one of my favorite Brad Pitt movies. Uh, That's very interesting though. Um, but, okay, so the next question is, what was your introduction to A24? Wait, so you're not going to tell me your top three? Oh, gosh. I think my top three was Under the Skin, Lock, Enemy. It's just so, like, really big. Like, those are the three that I gave when we did, like, when we did this the very first time. Mm. I probably kick maybe Lockout now for Past Lives. I actually think I would kick Lockout for like past lives. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Dakota? I don't remember what my original answer was, but based on my letterbox ranking, it is Last Black Man San Francisco, a ghost story in Ex Machina. Oh, Ex Machina. No, maybe I did. Did I put that in? Those are good choices. Yeah, there there's there is very few wrong answers. There are wrong answers, but there, there are, are wrong few. answers. <laughs> <laughs> doing this what series. wait wait what what would have been a wrong answer oh like what was this like what was the very first one called the charlie sheen one yeah uh a glimpse inside the mind of charles swan the third that is a wrong answer yeah that is absolutely <laughs> a wrong answer doing because of this, charlie sheen like, no it's just not a good movie like it's nothing to do with him it's just not a good movie but like okay. doing this series i have to say like we all kind of put a 24 on a certain kind of pedestal but then 
when you actually watch all of their movies, it's like there's no way every single movie they put out can be a, a hit, right? Like, but you realize they did have a number of really crappy movies that they did put out, especially in the very, very early days mm-hmm. where they're still trying to figure out, I guess, the tone of the company and like the, the, mm-hmm. the vibe that they want to project out there. Um, so as they're figuring that out and they're kind of just accepting whatever movie that they can get um those movies at the very very beginning aren't the greatest there's another one that i really didn't like and i can't remember revenge of the green dragons that was a really shitty movie and now it's so upsetting because that's like yeah the only asian movie they did at that point (laughs) Um, yeah there were some there are some bad ones though i know you really hate it there was one that I just really couldn't stand. I can't remember. I didn't like Spring Breakers, but that I didn't hate it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There, yeah. there's been some that I, I ha- oh Tusk. Oh yeah, you didn't even that do that movie. episode. I didn't. I literally stepped away from the episode, Jared. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> you guys go ahead. I don't even want to waste an hour of my time talking Stop. about this. Movie. <laughs> I was just so not into it. And yeah, there's been a few though. That there's been a few that just weren't great cut bank we that was a recent one that we did with um daniel grant yeah um, that was a real rough one that wasn't a good one either so there are wrong answers to this question but i think there are more correct answers than wrong answers let's us move on now um so jericho introduction yeah. to a24 do you remember i do but okay so my introduction was the bling ring Mm -hmm. but not knowing what a24 was and then it wasn't until like you know under the skin um what was another early 2010s but yeah so it was like like, yeah it was like a gradual um recognition of a24 i would just see like the logo playing in front of the movie and it was like okay, as, as soon as I would see the logo, I'd be like, okay, this one's gonna devastate me. Great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the bling ring was my introduction. And that was because, I watched that because I was, I am a Sofia Coppola fan. Woo! Oh, Dakota really likes, She's he's, he's a big Sofia head. Yep. That's what you guys call yourselves. <laughs> She's alright. I don't mind her. She's okay. Yeah, we gotta come up <laughs> with a name. Sophia heads Sophia that, that works. What's, what's the problem with that? Yeah, hashtag Sophia head <laughs> <laughs> could be taken the wrong way. <laughs> um, I find a lot of people kind of share a very and I, I, that was my experience too, which is like you start watching these movies and you don't necessarily think, oh, I'm going to go watch a new. A-. Now that's their reputation is like, oh, a new A24 is out, so let's go catch it or at least like you're interested in it it's on your radar but there was a time and it's usually about the same time period uh, depending on how old you are and how into movies you were back then but you just start watching the same not the same movie but you start watching these movies because you're just interested in them and then mm-hmm. you start to notice that oh the same logo keeps popping up um and then eventually now and like that's how they built their brand though i suppose because now i heard was it at south by last year or maybe two years ago oh, it wouldn't have been two years ago i guess last year um at, i think it was south by southwest they were talk people were talking about how when the a24 logo came out like the the crowd was cheering for it <laughs> which i find really really weird but at the same time like i think they've done a really great job with one curating their films but also two 
um, just the marketing in general for the brand because um, they've done a really good job about that. Yeah, and now it's like if you see the logo in a trailer, it kind of just solidifies or like you feel at least somewhat assured that, okay, this is going to be at least decent, more likely. Yes, and I th- there's something about their logo too because it looks that it has that old filmy quality to mm-hmm. it. Um, so it kind of puts you in a different mood than, you know, even, I mean, the like the studios that have been around for ages, like uh, Warner Brothers and Columbia and um, Disney, their logos now are so sharp and so digital looking that it kind of takes you out of it. But like the A24 logo it has this nice gritty quality to it that reminds you just of like movies when you're a bit younger. Yeah, it's like a pat on the back, like you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a warm blanket around your shoulders. Yeah, for hot coffee. <laughs> um, all right, I this is my favorite question of the four questions, uh, and I'm very curious to hear what your answer is. So, Jericho, what are or no, which director, dead or alive, do you think would make a good A24 movie? Okay, so this one was also hard because I had multiple answers. And because I thought I had to give three, but then I misread your email. (laughs) I know. So I was like, okay, now I have to pick one. So my pick is Isabel Sandoval. She did Lingua Franca. And I think, I don't know, she, that movie was just so sharp and um, empathetic and devastating, but also really cool in a way. Uh, so I think, I think she'd be great. Yeah. I think that's a great pick. And I'm honestly surprised. I feel like she had so much buzz behind her and hasn't really done a ton since her debut film. Like, I think she's done a couple shorts and stuff like that, but I, I would not be shocked in the slightest to see if, uh, if a 24 scoops up one of her movies in the future. I'm, I'm hoping. not overly familiar with her, but I will have to check her out a little bit. That's interesting. See, I knew you'd give a good pick for that one, Jericho. Like, I, I knew I had faith. I was like, I have faith that Jericho's gonna really interesting answer. Won't just be like Chris Nolan. No offense <laughs> if somebody did say Chris Nolan, because I think somebody has somebody said Chris Nolan. I feel like that was an answer at some point. I I don't have I, I keep track of everyone's answers and I, I didn't start keeping track until after we did about five of them. So okay. unless someone from the really early episodes did, no one has said Chris Nolan, but I cannot remember if that's the case or not. I'm, okay, I'm not. I'm going to stop talking just in case somebody did. Because I could feel bad <laughs> if no. somebody did say that. They're not but coming back. <laughs> there is a wrong answer. See for that? No, there's not. I mean, I guess like Insomnia could have been, or like even Memento that could have been an A24 movie. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Anyway. Um, okay, and so the last question here, Jericho, what do you think makes an A24 movie? I think it's uh, ability to be anything it wants to be on a formal level, while still somehow, no matter the genre, story, or direction, it still somehow completely eviscerates you. Mm. That is my experience with A24 films. I don't know if it's because I just naturally gravitate towards sad things, but that Mm -hmm. that is my definition of an A24 film. I like that. Eviscerates is a really good word for A24 movies, I think. Um, And I'm with you. I gravitate towards like darker things that are going to put you in a 
bit of a down mood. I don't know why, mm. but maybe that's why we get along, Jericho. Because right? we're both we're both just looking for really <laughs> downer material to watch. Um, but I mean, like, how else would you want to experience those things? Like, I don't want to do that in real life. It is true, yeah. And it's like when I see like happy stuff, I'm like, what's wrong with them? What's <laughs> it feels so false to me that somebody could be that happy in real life? It's just like that's not real. But give me something really devastating, I'd be like, yeah, that's more relatable. See. I act like I've like led a really tough life. I haven't. I've led a very, very easy and soft <laughs> life. Um, maybe that's why, though, because you're right. It's it's easier to see that kind of thing in um, in a movie than uh, actually go through it in real life. So exactly. Well, thank you, Jericho. Those are amazing answers, and I knew I never had a doubt. I never had a doubt that you were going to give us some good stuff to work with. So thank you. Once upon a time, Jake Cavendish traveled from the cold shoulder of Scotland the baking heart of America to find his love a jackrabbit in a den of wolves arms abroad boy sir I'm Jay Cavendish son of Lady Cavendish we're all sons of bitches keep heading west solo you'll be dead by dawn I take care of myself sure kid you need chaperoning. Let's drift. Care not why I'm headed west. No. So let us get the episode continuing. And we're going to, like I said, um, we're looking at Slow West today, which came out in 2015. It was directed by John McClane, not of Die Hard, just a Scottish man named John McClane. <laughs> and starring Cody Smith-McPhee, Michael Fassbender, Ben Mendelsohn, and Karen Pistorius. As the title of the film would suggest, Slow West is a Western film, and it follows a bounty hunter named Silas, who's played by uh, Michael Fassbender, and a young Scotsman named Jay, who's played by Cody Smith-McPhee. The two of them, for very separate reasons, are making their way through the American West and are in search of Rose, who is Karen Pistorius' character. The movie goes between the past, the present, and a few dream sequences as well. And I would describe it as like a whimsical Western, which I find very interesting. And we can get into that later. Slow West had its premiere during the 2015 uh, Sundance Film Festival. And it was received incredibly well at that festival as well. I had a really good time reading some of the reviews that came out of it because people were so excited for this movie. Um, And it was actually purchased by A24 ahead of the festival in December Uh, knowing that I think that it had already gotten a spot over at Sundance. So usually I think we find that A24 purchases a lot of their films in the middle of festivals, like Sundance, uh, TIFF is another one, South By. Um, But this was one that it happened just ahead of it. So that's kind of neat. I think, actually, first of all, I want to start the discussion with how do you guys feel about Western films, generally speaking, like just the genres? Is it a genre that you guys gravitate towards um dakota why don't we start with you sure yeah westerns is such a unique genre where obviously it was most popular in the 40s 50s and 60s and then it really fell off hard because it just wasn't popular anymore with the the rise of sci-fi and it's so there's there's two different kinds of westerns really because you could basically boil down every western to a regular western and then an anti-western and I feel like, unfortunately, with a lot of the 
OG Westerns, you get a lot of things that are sort of associated with um, very conservative ideals. Uh, things like uh, misogyny, to- toxic masculinity, uh, issues in hatred towards indigenous people, all this sort of stuff is, is really central themes to a lot of Westerns. So it makes them really tough to watch, especially looking through them with today's lenses. I enjoy some of them, but I feel like kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's kind of people call comic book movies the westerns of yesteryear mm-hmm. sort of thing. So it's like the same how you'll get, you know, one good comic book movie and then 50 crap ones. And that's sort of the same way with westerns. There's, there are some great absolute classics, you know, Searchers, High Noon, stuff like that. And I do really like those. But most of the John Wayne movies are just crap, in my opinion. <laughs> that said, the anti-Westerns, the stuff that sort of started with, you know, Unforgiven, obviously there were other anti-Westerns before that, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, stuff like that. I'm really a big fan of that because I like how it really inverts the genre on its head of what we expect a traditional Western to be. And that's pretty much all it is, is you expect a Western to be this, instead we're going to be a little bit different, and now it's an anti-Western. And I really love those. I think the look is, you know... Some of the most beautifully shot films are westerns. They just mm-hmm. the way of capturing the expanse land is always done so beautifully, no matter the season or where it takes place. It's always stunning. So I have this real love hate relationship with them where I kind of want to watch more, but also I don't really want to get into the weeds of these really terrible racist old ones. So it's a weird sort of uh, conundrum I'm in. New westerns, I'm all for it. Give me more of them. Jericho, how about you? Yeah, to echo um, Dakota's point about the conservatism of like the older Westerns, I remember I took in university um, an American studio film class. And so there was like a good chunk where we did watch like the John Waynes of cinema. And I try not to watch old films with a modern lens as much as I can, mm. but you can't escape the cringe sometimes or just the how uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um certain parts are and so yeah western is not it's not a genre that i gravitate towards and then when you told me this was the movie i was like she's really (laughs) testing me (laughs) (laughs) she really wants to know what i can talk about And I thought it was on purpose. I thought it was on purpose. And then I, yeah. yeah, And I was like, oh no. And then I looked through your um, past episodes and I was like, oh, they're going in chronological order. It's not, (laughs) it's not personal. Not everything is about me. (laughs) Imagine it was, though, Jericho. Imagine it was. I could have waited. Listen, I am prepared. My therapist says I have anxiety, but I am prepared. (laughs) <laughs> could have waited for you we could have waited for you to do like any of the other ones coming up next it didn't have, didn't have to do this one so you right? never know you never know um i share the same thoughts with you guys about westerns it's never been a genre that i'm that interested in even the modern stuff i think is better than the older stuff however i do see the appeal of the older um the more classic westerns i do understand why they became as popular as they did. Um, I'm very interested in Western as a genre as more on a, more of like an academic thing. Cause uh, Dakota, you uh, brought up the point of a lot of people saying, you know, superhero movies of today are kind of the Westerns of back then. And I find that a really interesting 
comparison to the two because somebody recently with Blue Beetle that had just come out, people were the main criticism that I've seen from Blue Beetle is that it followed a very, very formulaic origin story. And somebody on Twitter, I don't know who it was, but they just said, yeah, but like, would you criticize a Western movie for having like cowboy hats and like a shootout and that kind of thing? Like, there are just certain things that happen in these types of movies. And I thought that that was a very interesting comparison, but um, neither here nor there. So the thing with Slow West that I find pretty fascinating is that it is a Western. It is a modern Western. However, there is, I I described it as a whimsical Western because it is not like a classic Western. It's, I wouldn't even say it's like a modern Western. I've never seen a Western film that was done in this way. And I, it really worked for me. Um, but Jericho, how did it work for you? Like did, well, I guess, first of all, we'll start with, did you find that it is done in a very different way, like markedly different? Um, and did it work for you? If so. Yeah. It, like even with, within the first, I don't know, five, 10 minutes, I was like, this is not what I expected. Because um, I didn't uh, really look into what the film was about. I didn't watch any trailers or research it at all. I wanted to go into completely blind because I hadn't even heard of this film until you invited me to same, onto same. this podcast. So I was like, I have no idea what to expect. I know it's a Western. And then when it started playing, I was like, oh, yeah, this is not like to your point. It is very whimsical. And it's, um, I was sucked in. I was like this i think i'm gonna like this dakota how about you yeah i i I think they did a a, john mcclain did a really good job of acknowledging the sort of past history of western films Mm -hmm. and the treatment of of segments of people but then also sort of you know flipping it on its head a little bit where you know we get a scene early on where um cody smith mcbee's character uh when he we first actually meet him with uh michael fassman when they first meet each other it's when he's run into some um southern army soldiers so right away we we get that point of uh of the southern army so we've got this is post-civil war um and they are chasing down an indigenous person and and we get this scene of what we think of the indigenous person being shot to death by the other soldiers and it later turns out that that wasn't the case um but we get this little you know acknowledgement of this is what the time was like. And then we get another scene later on where they're, they're riding through horseback and, um, and Jay and Silas come across these, uh, black Creole, uh, men, old men who are singing a, a French song. Cody Smith McVie speaks French or his character does at least. And so he responds to them, uh, in French. And so we get that little bit of history. And then later on, we also get another scene, uh, when we finally see Rose and her family, they are working with another indigenous person who speaks somewhat minimal language, uh, English, uh, speaking of hot coffee, there's someone who, uh, orders hot coffee and hates hot coffee. <laughs> Uh, that's a throwback to before we were recording there uh, with Jericho. Uh, so we we get all these nice little hallmarks of, you know, hey, we're acknowledging, you know, what it probably really was like at the time while we're also sort of including the tropes that were present in these older Western films while still subverting them at the same time. That's a really good way to say it. I think. Yeah, it's 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 like the, all the callbacks to the history of. Western. I actually, I have to admit, I don't think I really appreciated it while I was watching it. 
but they do it like but when you said it i was like that's absolutely that is absolutely what they were doing what john mcclain is doing in this movie and this is surprisingly i was looking up john mcclain's like this is his first movie but also his only movie that he's directed i was shocked Um, yeah this movie is so good he he does such a and it's such an assured hand like Mm -hmm. directing a film like this and then you know when you when i think about more of the references that it is making to cinema history really it and and also just american history too for a scottish guy to to be able to pull from those things as well um that's just a really confident director to me and somebody who i think has a very very good command of his craft and i think he shows that well so i'm surprised that this is the one and only film that he's done. I don't, I, I assume he's probably got other things going on as well. Like I know he did some television and things, but in terms of like cinematic, I'm very uh, surprised. Like I'm surprised that he, he's only done this one. Yeah. Um, from what I can tell, he was a musician. Uh, like he was in, a, I guess a fairly popular rock band in the nineties and two thousands. And then I guess they broke up or it ended. And then he made a couple shorts with Michael Fassbender and has directed a couple music videos as well. But like, what Not what is movie. he doing? What, what else yeah. is he doing? Like, I, I need to see another John McClane movie. Like, it was incredible, his direction. Isn't it a funny, though, how we look at like a, a great, great movie like this? And any of us would have been extremely pleased with ourselves if we had directed a movie like this and it ended up that way. But yet when we look at it, we go, oh, that's great. But what else are you going to do? Like, we're not just content <laughs> with saying like, good job on this one amazing thing that you've done. We're like, no, 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 keep going. Cause well, it's a compliment to him really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you brought up Fastbender though. Let's talk about the two lead performances. So we've got Cody Smith McPhee, who is an Australian uh, and Michael Fastbender, who is um, a good old Irishman. So Cody Smith McPhee is playing a young Scott. And at first I wasn't really buying his accent. I have to admit, but then as yeah. it went on, I realized he's not doing the really kind of the stereotypical Scottish accent, which he shouldn't be. There's very many different types of accents in, in the country. Um, but the two of them, I really love their chemistry together. They had so many different dynamics at play, like a uh, big brother, little brother, but also, you know, enemy and, um, what's the other two enemies two people who are enemies <laughs> each other uh like you know what i mean like they were like foes at one point but they're also friends at one point and they also have um a real towards the end of the film especially they have like a real respect and particularly silas uh michael fassbender's character eventually takes on quite a caregiver um attitude towards jay uh, but Jericho, how how do you find the two those two lead performances in particular? I kept hoping that this was their love story, <laughs> just because, like it you know, could have been actually, yeah, that could have been. Like watching this for the first time, I could not get out of my mind um, Cody Smith McPhee from The Power of the Dog, mm. and then like mm. one of my favorite westerns, uh, Brokeback Mountain. So I was like please let this be the love story. Cause I did love their chemistry. There was an ease to, um, even though they're strangers and I believe they've worked together before. So maybe I don't know where that falls in with X-Men, but, uh, I loved, I loved the dynamic and I was, yeah, I was hoping that they were going to fall in love. Maybe that's my fan fiction. There you go. Write that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did find it interesting because like when you, you were talking about how John McClane is Scottish and then um, the story is so like, it's so set in America, 
but mm-hmm. like the key players, like Fassbender, uh, Smith, McPhee, and McLean, neither of them are American. So I thought that was a really interesting um, element to it in the way that it sort of revises the genre. And then you have these people who aren't necessarily from the country. I mean, even add on to that Ben Mendelsohn, who we haven't talked about yet, but he's yeah, he's, uh, Australian. he's Australian. Karen Pistorius is uh, South, South African, African Kiwi. So yeah. nobody is, is really American. And yeah. in New Zealand too, just like uh, Power of the Dog. Yeah, and which I, I do get that. But one thing I found was funny about John McClane was he said, you know, yeah, we'll film the American outback in New Zealand and that's fine. But for him, like filming, uh, he is Scottish, so I suppose he's allowed to say this, but it's like the scenes that were in Scotland were actually done in Scotland because he was like, you can't replicate Scotland. <laughs> he <laughs> oh, was, yeah. He's so like, you can't replicate Scotland. But like mm-hmm. the, the American outback, it's fine. We will just do that in New Zealand, which I thought was very funny. Um, Dakota, though, how'd you find um, Cody and, and Michael, our, our buddies, uh- Cody and Mike? I I love their performances. This I feel like was in the era of Michael Fassbender was like at his absolute height where everything he was turning out was just like the best performance you had ever seen. And then he'd come out with another movie. You're like, no, this is the best performance you've ever seen. (laughs) And so it, it really showed his range at the time. And I really liked him in this movie because he does have, as you were describing, a very interesting dynamic with the J character where at times it's, you know, very parental sibling. Sometimes it's like a sibling rivalry. Sometimes it's like antagonist where you can't really figure out what the relationship is supposed to be. And, and even the whole time, you're also not too sure what his true motivations are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you sort of mentioned it off the top where both Silas and Jay are looking for this young girl named Rose. And the backstory is, the Cody Smith McVie character, Jay, has followed her over from Scotland because he's in love with her, but he's several years younger, and at the time, it was an unrequited love, but he's going to show up basically on her porch and be like, hey, I'm the man that you should marry, sort of thing, even though he's like a, a, a young teenager, and uh, sorry, an old teenager, and she's a young adult, so there is a bit of an age gap, but not a ton, but when you're that age, it seems like you might as well be 100 years apart. Um, and then you've got the Michael Fassbender character who may or may not still be a bounty hunter and you're not totally sure what his motivations are and he comes across a wanted poster saying $2,000 dead or alive Rose and her father who's uh, played by the hound Roy McCann from uh, Game (laughs) of Thrones uh, in a very nice sweet role by him (laughs) Um, and so it's sort of interesting where the audience knows thinks they they might know Silas's intentions better than Jay does. And we're kind of left wondering the whole time, is he going to betray Jay or not? And so it's it's a very interesting dynamic where every action, when he's being nice, is he being manipulative? When he's angry at him, is he showing his true colors? What's going on? And and so it's a really nice, well-balanced, layered performance from Fassbender. And Smith McPhee, I agree his accent is a little rough at times. It kind of hinges a little British, sometimes yeah. Scottish. You're not really sure what's going on. But uh, but I will allege that, you know, Smith McPhee has had a run as probably one of the greatest young actors ever. He is, I, I know I sound like I'm being hyperbolic here, but he's such a great actor. And, and once again, just showing his range and his talent here. And I think... Power of the Dog, which, you know, almost a decade later he makes, is a very natural progression of these two Western characters of uh, a young man who is 
in love, heartbroken, unsure of himself, trying to be confident, all this sort of stuff. And McVeigh does that, Smith McVeigh does that so well. Yeah, he's such an interesting actor. I think he is just as talented as Timothy Chalamet, but for some reason does not receive the same. Actually, I say for some reason. It's I because he's it, kind of weird looking. It's it's his look. Which yeah, I love. I yeah. was going to say, I think his face, because it is such an interesting looking face, that is going to serve him so well, just because as he gets older and that face continues to mature, he's going to become, he's going to be able to, I think we've we've seen him do, I wouldn't call them leading man roles, but like straight roles. Like they're, they're, um, they're not character, the quote unquote character roles. But I think that as he gets older, he's going to have that option to do more character acting, mm-hmm. um, which he wouldn't be able to do really if he were this kind of dashing looking young man um, with a very kind of prototypical face because he has such an interesting look to him. And I think that that's what makes him an actor that is going to continue past, not to say that Chalamet's career is going to end like anytime soon, but I think it'll, <laughs> it'll serve him really well in terms of his longevity compared to maybe some of his contemporaries right now who maybe he's losing jobs out to, I don't know. But um, I think that he will, he has a really, really good um, potential like path for him. And I think he's fantastic. And he also has the best line in the Elvis movie where he's like, talking about how elvis is white he's like he's white it's great good old i will always remember him for that because that is one of the stupidest lines ever in the movie. but anyways um, um the person i wanted to showcase a little bit so karen pistoria she is really great in the film as well and i don't want to take anything away from hers too but ben mendelson is an actor who i ad- speaking of character actors he's so good i adore him so much and he is one of the great great character actors but the funny thing to me is he doesn't even need i don't think he needs to be a character actor like in terms of usually character actors are people who can't be leading men for like mm. a chris pine is he won't Can be, never a be a character man. exactly whereas ben mendelson though i'm like i feel like he could have done that if he wanted to and maybe he did like when he was in australia doing more local productions and things like that maybe that's what he was going to get put in but in hollywood he is known to be um one of the best character actors and um i adore him i think anytime i hear that he's in a movie i'm very interested even like with the marvel stuff he like got me interested in marvel again because i was like oh ben mendelson's in it that's really interesting my favorite scene of him in this movie is when he shows up right at the end at Rose's house and he just has this massive fur coat on and he looks like such a pimp and oh, I God, love it. Yeah. I love that shot of him just walking in and they kind of shoot him like up. So he just looks huge as well in that. But I, I think he's absolutely phenomenal in this movie and I just want to spend a bit of time to talk about the great Ben Mendelsohn and his um, performance. So, Dakota, well, well, I'll go to you first, just because you you mentioned him being one of the great character mm-hmm. actors as well. Yeah, he's so flamboyant in this movie in a in almost a subtle, subdued way, which seems like an oxymoron. But having that coat really helps. It's so <laughs> contrast because Michael Fassbender has a very stereotypical, uh, we'll call it hot cowboy look, um, yeah. and Ben Mendelsohn on the flip side is like, no, I'm gonna have the big puffy fur coat i'm gonna have a big wide brim hat you're gonna know my presence you know that i'm the leader of this gang and and that's a lot of swagger to you know put upon an actor to uphold and ben Mendelssohn is someone that's always able to pull it off where you know he's got this 
this grimace to him where you're like, I'm intimidated by you, but I don't know if I should respect you, your intimidation, or if I should be like crapping my pants by how scared I should be. And he, he balances that line so well. And once again, like he doesn't have a ton of scenes in this movie, but every time he shows up, you just can't help but stare at him. And this is, you know, saying a lot considering it also stars Michael Fassbender and Cody Smith McVie, which we've now talked about for several minutes about how great they are in this movie and what great presence they have on screen and how Ben Mendelsohn could show up, barely say anything and just steal the scenes he's in. Yeah. Very well said. Jericho. I totally agree. I think, well, first of all, I think Ben Mendelsohn's voice is epic and I would (laughs) listen to him read anything. The phone book for you kids out there. Um, (laughs) I did have a thought though, after I'd finished the film, because I did feel that his character was, uh, I don't know if underutilized would be the word or just on the smaller side, but mm-hmm. I feel like a different actor, like that character would have disappeared if it weren't Ben. And um, it's like, a, it's a testament to his skill, but I, I did, I did want more from the character. That was my thought. And that's, I always feel like that's kind of like, um, well, one, it's a real compliment to the character, to the actor, first off. But also it's mm-hmm. like, in a way, I wonder with his character, if we had gotten more of him, does it lose the impact that we had with him just showing up every now and then? Because as Dakota, as you said, he is so flamboyant in this one in in comparison to everybody else around him. So do, do you lose any of that impact? But then at the same time, I would say it's Ben Mendelsohn. And I don't think that we would, we would yeah, ever would say no. Was, <laughs> yeah, you would never be like, oh, too much Ben Mendelsohn. I don't like this. <laughs> You'd always welcome it. But it's, it's I always do find it interesting when you do see a, a character on screen and you're like, oh, I wish I knew more about you. Because there's on one hand, the characters that you're like, I wish I knew more about you. And I wish they had dropped all these other things, like all these other subplots in the movie and just focus on you because you're the most interesting thing there um, versus I just wanted to see more of you because you're just really interesting and but it's not quite the same thing if that if that makes sense yeah and i I think i don't know it's usually the case with like stacked casts like Mm -hmm. rory's character i was like what he's just dead now yeah (laughs) it's true (laughs) yeah we didn't even talk about him yeah he just died rory mccain who plays uh john is it john yeah it plays uh, he's hammering a fence and he gets shot like a motherfucker and it's like so he's just gone and I was like, I, what? You're not going to do this to the hound. I also, <laughs> I loved his uh, Scottish accent, actually. Is he Scottish? No. I think, I think he's just He British. is Scottish, yeah. He is no Scottish. One, oh, interesting. No okay. wonder it's so good. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. He's got a great Scottish accent. <laughs> like, I was like, wow. Yeah, Can you imagine but, you thought it was bad? <laughs> <laughs> like, it could use a little bit of work. Like, a little bit of work. Um, but no, it, it is, the this movie is, I'm... I'm kind of surprised how under the radar this movie is. And I don't, I maybe I just say that because I hadn't heard of it really. And, and Jericho, you said the same thing, mm-hmm. um, but it is one of those that it doesn't get discussed very much when you're talking about a 24s catalog uh, or even just Westerns in general. I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough because this is such an interesting film and the amount of great performances that are in it from top to bottom, everybody it's like, 
and we kind of brought up Chris Nolan before, but it's kind of like a Chris Nolan movie where he, he even the smallest role, he will cast a big actor in it. Um, be- well, one, he's Chris Nolan and he can do that. But this movie kind of feels the same way where it's like even the roles that are a little bit small, he casts somebody so perfect for it and not necessarily high profile, not necessarily like a big Hollywood actor, but just a really a known face a known name mm-hmm. and somebody who does so well and then you're just like i want i want to see more and i think that that's a really good testament to any movie um really does anybody have anything else that they want to say about performers or performances rather before i move on just that they all ate <laughs> well said. no i'm uh there, there's definitely some filmmaking stuff i want to talk about so mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm done with the performance aspect all right so dakota you mentioned at the top um one of the things with westerns is that they are shot incredibly well Mm -hmm. and i think that that is something with the cinematography in this one is absolutely outstanding it is uh, the cinematographers uh robbie ryan who has worked with noah bombach uh yorgos lanthimos uh ken loach he's done a lot of really great stuff and he actually did uh ginger and rosa which is a a24 that we oh, have talked that's about. so funny because yeah. i was watching this and there's several split diopter shots i'm just like huh, this kind of reminds me of ginger and rosa there you go yeah there you go it's the same guy um the thing I find, like, you know, we we said this is just, it's not your typical Western. And I think the cinematography has everything to do with it. And I think the music does as well. And we can talk about the music later. But I think the cinematography does a lot of the heavy lifting in turning this Western from a classic Western, a modern Western into something that is entirely its own thing. Um, we kind of all agreed that this is a different type of Western. It's whimsical, as was the word that I wanted to use. Um, but Dakota, since you wanted to get into the film, like, what is it about the cinematography specifically, do you think, changed this movie from being a, kind of a very run-of-the-mill Western into being something a little bit special? Oh, that's that's tough. Uh, there, There's a few specific moments which I think has more to do with the writing than the actual cinematography. Obviously, the way it was shot is, is, is key to unlocking that. But as far as the actual cinematography goes, I don't know. I, like, I think just about every Western is is beautifully shot because you are using nature to really frame everything. And, you know, towards the end of the movie, when they finally find Rose and her dad, and it's just this house in the middle of a wheat field with the mountains behind it, and the way everything is just framed so perfectly, it, it felt a bit like a Terrence Malick movie. It very felt like, it, it felt like Days of Heaven to me. Hmm. Uh, if that was an inspiration to it, I don't know. But it was just, it's just shots like that where you're, you're going through the the solitary nature of, you know, going through a forest or, you know, uh, a campsite with literally nothing around you or the mountains. I don't know. Since moving out to Vancouver, I think, you know, just framing the mountains behind you just makes everything look way better. So (laughs) I don't know if that's much of a trick or just being like, hey, point the camera at that big, beautiful rock. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Jericho? I, yeah, like, when you said that the cinematography does a lot of the heavy lifting, I felt the same. I thought, well, I, while I was watching it, I was trying to figure out where in America is this? Because this is too beautiful. <laughs> and then New Zealand. Uh, I, I know. So I was like, <laughs> America could fucking never. Um, <laughs> so it's my experience with Western films, limited as it is, is that a lot of the times the landscape is depicted as like this 
um, heaven. Like it's so beautiful. It's, it's almost like a character on its own and everyone wants to be there. Everybody wants to thrive there. And with this film, because it does play into that um, sort of capitalist endeavors, I thought what was interesting was how the landscape often echoed what the characters are going through in a way that I hadn't seen before in like an old Western. And so it wasn't so much like uh, the land is uh, this great thing and it's free, but more so it's utilized to sort of um, emphasize what Jay and Silas specifically are going through. And so I thought, I was like, yeah, this is so beautiful. It's very interesting the way some of the, like the one thing that one scene that comes to mind is when the when they wake up and the river's back and that's like sort of like a new beginning for Silas like his gun is washed away and then I don't think after that he fires a gun or kills anybody so I thought that was like a I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting that's a mm-hmm. good, good observation for me yeah. it was and and I I am very willing to be corrected by um, people who are who have watched more westerns than I have because I'm like Jericho I haven't watched uh, in, enough to really make an educated um, statement on it. But when I think of westerns and I think of like the tones and the colors in a western, I don't think of them as particularly vibrant necessarily. But in this film, I found that the there was like a lot of jewel tones, and it was just. It was very, the colors were very vivid in a way that I don't, I actually assume as much as I always shit on Wes Anderson, this kind of reminded me of like if Wes Anderson did a, a Western, but like yes. a good one, like a good version mm-hmm. of Wes Anderson, one that I would like. I mm-hmm. think this would be it mm-hmm. because like it, there's just such a quality to how the way it's edited. It Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wasn't that that for me is kind of bringing it all together is how it just becomes a different type of Western. And I think that is what intrigues me the most about this movie beyond anything else really is, is how it was shot and made to look like not a Western at all. But yet the story is obviously the makeup, the styling, um, the script, which we'll talk about in a second. It is all very much so in the Western vein. But everything else about it, like the way it's shot, the way that it's edited together, it, it leans more quirky indie, uh, quirky unicycle indie Wes Anderson styles than it does anything else to me. And I that is just so interesting. But um, let's talk about the script, though, Dakota. Uh, I, I assume you're going to be very positive about it. I have to admit, I didn't really like the script that much. <laughs> I found it to be a little bit... Um, not cutesy, but it, I found it to be a little bit too twee at times and a bit too like, I know that when you're writing dialogue, a majority of the time, that's not how we talk in real life. But normally I can kind of get over that. But in this one, for some reason, I just found it didn't. However, I would say maybe that was very intentional that it is like a storybook that they're trying to tell you. And it's like you're reading a storybook. Um, and that's kind of the effect that I got from this movie more than anything else. But uh, willing to hear you change my mind here, Dakota. No, I, I think the script itself on a whole is, 
you know, pretty basic as far as what types of, of tropes they're playing with as far as unrequited love and uh, a young uh, a young boy chasing after a girl hoping to convince her to to love him back, that sort of thing. But there, there's a couple of key re- moments that I really appreciate in this movie that I thought were unique storytelling moments. John McClane also wrote the screenplay. The first one was when Jay and Silas are going through their journey and they come across a fallen tree and they realize that there is a skeleton underneath it holding an axe and they have to laugh at it because this guy chopped down a tree that ended up killing him. And it was just so funny the way that they're like, it's kind of funny, isn't it? And they're like, no, it's not. Actually, you know what? Yeah, it is kind of funny. (laughs) And so it was like little moments like that where I really appreciate it. Or later on, uh, when we're spending a bit of time with Ben Mendelssohn's gang, uh, one of the older guys in his gang tells the story of uh, a younger guy who believed himself to be the, you know, the, the best assassin in the West or whatever, but he didn't have a wanted dead or alive poster. So this guy makes him a wanted poster for him. And they, they do this great storytelling effect where uh, it's he's retelling the story, so we see it play out like a reenactment, but this one guy is doing all the voices, and it kind of looks a bit like bad dubbing because it's like you're mixing what probably was actually said with what how the guy is telling the story. It's just a really fun, clever way of, of recounting a story that I appreciated. Uh, it was just little moments like that that I, I really liked how the... The direction in the screenplay, which was both McLean, sort of came together to give a bit of a unique voice. Yeah. Uh, Jericho, any thoughts about the screenplay and, yeah, just the screenplay, not and anything else? <laughs> um, to sort of piggyback on what Dakota was saying, I laughed out loud unexpectedly at so many parts. And yeah. I, I, think, um, I think you were talking about how it's not... Uh, so naturalistic and I think how stylized it was or it felt to me very stylized I think that supported everything else about what the film was trying to achieve or how it was going about telling its story so I really appreciated those little um, segments of it didn't feel like a linear in the sense that um, there was like an overarching, I don't know how to say, maybe a tone. Like it was very segmented for me. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I laughed out loud. The salt from the wound made me laugh. Uh, <laughs> that was another thing I want to touch on. Yeah. I think just because it said salt and then he's just like, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know why I'm laughing. This is a devastating moment, but it was, I, I laughed at that. And then the butt shot at the end, yeah, <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> I rewound it a couple times because I was like, why is that there? Right. But I, like- <laughs> I feel like, though, in a sense, you know, as Dakota said, this was direct or uh, written by John McClane and obviously directed by him. Uh, and it does kind of fall in line with the, I almost like the Scottish humor, the Scottish sensibility of what is funny and like the ridiculousness of any situation can be a bit humorous. And so this movie, I actually like completely agree with you. There is so, it's not so funny, but it's a lot funnier than you would ever expect. Even in the first few moments of this movie, you're not thinking that you're going to be laughing later. 
Um, but it, it, even even Ben Mendelsohn showing up in like a massive pimp coat in the way that they shot it, like that's hilarious just in the way that they had him going there. But I, I found it to be, um, yeah, it, it does work as much as I did say, like I, I have a bit of gripes with the, um, with the script. Although now that I think about it a little bit and I think about how Dakota, you mentioned um, this movie does reference kind of classic, westerns a lot westerns i don't think like westerns have that same kind of more stilted dialogue it's very dramatic very melodramatic in its own way and they like one-liners and and that kind of a thing and so it i I suppose in a way that the script itself is also a bit of a callback to some of those older western tropes um that that we've come to know and love for the genre maybe not love but we've come to know them because depending on how you feel about the western films um I want to talk about the music though, because I think alongside the cinematography and the performances, um, the music does a lot in terms of creating this storybook or dreamlike fantasy. And there are moments that we actually do go into dream sequences, uh, but they're not done in a particularly hazy dream fever dream type of way um but the music is not at all what i associate a music the music to be for a western film i typically associate western films with being having a bit more of a dramatic score something that is a little bit more um operatic or yeah operatic is a good way of saying it whereas this one felt very light and very bouncy um again just nothing that i would associate with it and so for you guys, how do you think that the music manipulates is a bit of a negative word, but like, how do you think the, the, the music manipulates us as an audience, as we go into this film, into the different scenes and into the overall tone of the film? Um, who did I start with before? I think I started Dakota. So Jericho, why don't we go with you? I think it was like, as soon as I heard the music paired with everything else, it immediately, reset my expectations for the film and then the one that like the motif that stood out to me was when they're on the horse i think there's like that those few bars that just play every time they're traveling and that was what hooked me into this is their love story and i will die (laughs) believing this is their love story um but yeah uh, to your point about the whimsy i think the music really contributed to that and uh, it was not what I was expecting. It was beautiful. And I thought it really supported uh, everything else that was going on. You know how there are some scores that you hear and you're like, I want a copy of that because I want to. Babylon is one. Dakota and I, we talk about it a lot where it's just you have it playing in the background because it is such a good piece of music no matter what i feel like there's other types of scores and this is one of them where you don't necessarily want to listen to it on its own just how is it but it fits in it's it's like tailor-made for every single scene and like every note has is delivering something in the scene um to to contribute to the overall film and i i find that kind of interesting but anyway sorry dakota i cut into what was supposed to be your time to talk about the score that's all right. I actually didn't clock the music that much. Really? Uh, so I, yeah. 
I so I don't know. I I think I need something that like really blow me away for me to take note of it. And from what I recall, it was it was good and it worked with the movie. But I don't have anything interesting to say, unfortunately. Do you think? Okay, so I've heard some people say, if you can notice the music in a movie, then it's not good. Like that's not a good thing that you should be able to mm-hmm. clock because it should just be something that's kind of in the background and something that just kind of guides you through the film. Um, do you think that that's more effective or actually, cause I, I don't think that that's correct when, when people I think say that's that bullshit. Way. Yeah. I don't really mm-hmm. agree with people saying that, but it's interesting to me to that you say like you didn't necessarily notice the music, but for me, the music was so prominent in this movie. Like it really, really stuck out to me as something because I don't know why really, but obviously it would have done its job with you in terms of getting you to to feel a certain way within as you're viewing the film. Yeah. I, I also agree with the both of you that just because you know, it's a score that doesn't mean it's bad. Um, can that be the case? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. it, it wasn't the case with, with most of the movies that I watch uh, or scores that I enjoy. It's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think it suited the movie. It did what it needed to do, but for some reason it just, I didn't end up, clocking and i didn't make any notes about it i i, I can't remember a, a melody or, or, or theme from it so yeah i i, I just so don't interesting. Really have much else i can add about it yeah i find that so fascinating that we like we watched the same movie and it just it's, <laughs> it was so prominent to me but i yeah i think that that's fascinating that we that we kind of one literally took everything from and the other and you are like no, it's just music play. <laughs> like, I think that that's so <laughs> fascinating. Um, I have one last question, but it is like a bit of just like a fun little thing. So I'm going to throw it to you guys. Is there anything else that I haven't brought up about the film, the filmmaking that you guys want to talk about? I would say the final shootout is quite mm. brutal. And I thought it was shot in a, a very beautiful way. Uh, and one that I really liked. I don't want to kind of spoil the movie too much about uh, who lives and who dies and, and how it all ends. But I, I will say the way it was all shot, I I really felt the danger for everyone involved throughout the whole thing. And there was a very clever hook to sort of eliminate uh, the bad guys, so to speak. I found it very um, superhero in a way, like it, in, in just the way that it plays out, but in a great way. Like I, I, I think it's in, um, yeah, I think it's it's done in just like this really really lovely way. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I think it's one of the great shootouts, but not done again, not done in a typical way. Like it's not done in the typical um, Western way. It is brutal, but it is kind of stylized, like it's artistic brutal. And there is something really interesting about that. Yeah, that's a, a good good thing to bring up. Um, Jericho, how about you? Yeah, I this the last shootout was um, like you mentioned that it was very stylized, and I think for me, everything about the movie, uh, in a good way, called attention to itself. Like the way, like the cinematography, mm-hmm. the music. Um, Everything was just sort of like a, I think John McClane was just flexing like, hey, I can make a good movie. Here it is. <laughs> and no, I really enjoyed There's that when the gang was like popping out of the tall grass one by one. And it looked like a, like a whack-a-mole. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I love this movie. <laughs> 
it brings a lot of like fun to it. Like you don't necessarily. It's so enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. It's enjoyable seeing those guys get all shot up and stuff like that. And then like, you know, you brought that up, Jericho. There's a, a shot of a random butt at the end. There. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay. Like, and it's, yeah, it makes the movie, I think, I suppose not take itself so seriously, but it is a very serious movie though. Like it never loses its edge of trying to be, you know, comedic or. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really get in its own way with. Yes. Trying yes. to insert or like trying to, uh, like the style doesn't, you know, undermine the narrative. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. Um, okay, so the last question I wanted to ask you guys, because we were talking about like a superhero movie or how Westerns and superhero movies have kind of become a bit tied to one another now and looking at this movie as uh, something a little bit different in the genre. And of course, when can we date back Westerns to Dakota, I'm asking you, like back to what the fifth, actually even Jericho, you studied this. When did the first westerns kind of pop up in America and in Hollywood? Sixties. Oh, I well, I feel like the first movies were were westerns, like yeah. stuff like The Great Train Robbery. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, so yeah, westerns have been a part of American filmmaking since the very beginning. So my thing would be if you guys were to see, because we've seen the kind of inception of uh, the superhero genre as we have been alive, like we we saw it. Actually, maybe Jericho's a little bit too young, but um, but we we kind of basically saw, uh, you know, the 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 current era that we have of superhero movies become what it is. What is a superhero m- character, or even just like a movie that, like, in say twenty thirty years time, you would like to see them do something like a slow west, like something like it's like a superhero movie, but it's not a superhero movie at the same time, and it takes on a very different tone to it than than we see not necessarily a darker tone like not a dark night kind of thing um but a, a more we'll keep going with the word whimsical is there a particular superhero character that you would like to see get that type of treatment in mm. say 30 years time that's really tough i would uh, say batman batman was my answer too just because you kind of see it in uh what's that one show the brave and the bold Mm, okay. I think yeah. it's very outrageous in terms of yeah. like in comparison to the Batman animated series, Batman Beyond. Um, yeah. So I think Batman could do whimsy. I think so too. And then like not a campy, like not necessarily the Adam West. Campy. But even campy, like right. with Adam West or even Tim Burton could it be works. some sort of camp adjacent. Yeah, I yeah. think we like, like the, the franchise has proven that it can do all sorts of or can fit into all sorts of genres. Yeah, that's good. I like that. That's better re- reasoning than I had, which is just <laughs> I like Batman, and so I want to see Batman. <laughs> Dakota, do you have anything? Uh, maybe someone like Spider Man could probably pull mm, that off. That's too. a good one too. Yeah, Spider Man. Because be- I think we've seen so many different incarnations of the Spider Man character, whether it's animated or live action, mm-hmm. that you can kind of play with it a little bit. I feel like an animated Spider Man in a more poppy way, even though I think the like the two recent ones, the um, Spider Verse movies, Spider-verse those kind movies, of do yeah. it. But uh, yeah, I could see that. 
Um, anyways, that was a really great discussion about the movie. And I'm like, I'm glad that Jericho, we got you on on one that we actually enjoy. Um, although the ones that we don't enjoy are kind of fun to rip apart as well. Uh, <laughs> but it's nice when we actually get to be celebratory of a movie because it's better to pull a movie up than to pull them down, no matter how much fun those are. Um, but we'll get into, as we finish every A24 retrospective episode, into the games. So we'll start with double feature. Um, Jericho, do you want to go first? Is that too much pressure? Do you want me to throw it? No, I am actually very okay. excited and not to okay, too but I'm very proud of my double pick. <laughs> so my pick would be Snowpiercer. Mm, that's actually really good. Because uh, I, I was talking about like the segmentation of Slow West, and I thought that like that's what uh, Snowpiercer remind, or reminded me of Snowpiercer and like the different train cars that they go in. But also because they're sort of polar opposites, um, temporally speaking, like Slow West is the beginning of uh, American society and Snowpiercer is on the other end. It's the end of the world. And yet there's those threads of the humans just wanting to go after or trying to find love or other humans or some sort of peace and warmth. And I thought, that's why I picked Snowpiercer. That's a really, really good pick. I'm nice. upset that I didn't come up with that. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Yeah, that's a really, really good Yeah, it's probably my pick. favorite Bong Joon-ho movie. I love it. I, yeah, I was talking about superheroes. Best thing Chris Evans has done outside of... Actually, no, it's better than anything he's done. It's probably the best thing he's ever done. Um, <laughs> Dakota, what's your double feature pick? So this was a, a tricky one where first thing that came to my mind was the power of the dog. I don't know if Rachel, you're going to pick it or not, but I thought that was a pretty obvious mm-hmm. comparison. And then while we were recording, I was thinking about it, and a movie that reminded me a lot is actually another A24 movie, The Green Knight, in terms of its unique filmmaking style, uh, sort of turning the genre upside down a little bit. But I can't pick that because that's an A24 Breaking movie the that's against the rules. Yeah. So my answer is a movie called The Sisters Brothers, which was directed by Jacques Odierd and starred Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley as two brothers who are assassins in the Wild West but have different dreams of how they want to live their lives. It's dark and it's funny and sort of every scene you don't know what to expect next. And the film also has its fair share of despair, even though it's mostly a comedy. That's a really good. I don't, I don't I've never seen it. I've heard of it, but I've never seen that one. Sounds, it's really good. It it's one that I think the yeah. marketing failed it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. In what way? Uh, I think the the marketing for it played it up as a very traditional Western or maybe including a bit too much of the comedy. Mm. Uh, and it sort of felt like, and as much as I love John C. Riley, he's kind of been in a bit of a rut the last decade of making really bad comedy movies for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think this movie was 2015, 2016, something like that, maybe a bit later. Uh, but it was, it was a nice sort of return to form where you could see Riley doing both the comedy and the drama really well. And it's always nice when Joaquin Phoenix does comedy because we know he's good at the drama. Uh, and so it's, it's a movie that it's, it's just one of those movies that's tough to market because it's so many different things. And it seems like studios don't know how to market something that's more than one thing. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll have to look into that movie a little bit more. Yeah, same. Um, I love both those guys. It's really good. 
Same. Yeah. Yeah. I should watch that. But um, my double feature pick was, it's kind of obvious, um, but it's just, I, I had it really stuck in my head of a Western that it feels a little bit different for me. And even though this one is actually a fairly typical Western, a fairly typical modern Western um, specifically, uh, it is one of the ones in recent times that I've really enjoyed. I I love uh, Hell or High Water as well. I think that that's a really great modern Mm -hmm. day Western too. Um, But the one that I was thinking of, the one that first popped into my head after watching this was the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Mm -hmm. Robert Ford. And I think it's, and Brad Pitt talks about how this is probably the movie that he wishes more people have seen of his um, because it is one of those that's in his filmography that for some reason it kind of has taken a backseat. Well, not for some reason. He's got a lot of great movies. That's why. Uh, but I love this movie and I think in particular it's shot incredibly well and just has, it does all the good things that you want a Western to be. And um, I think it's a nice, not a contrast necessarily to slow West, but it's a nice counter in the sense of like, it does all those classic things really, really well. Whereas slow West does the classic stuff, but turns it on its head a little bit. And so I think that that's a nice little pairing there. Um, Dakota, let's start with you for the Would You Rather. Sure. Uh, Okay. This was a really tricky one to come up with. I I don't know how much you guys struggled or not, but uh, if you were a Wild West bounty hunter or assassin, would you rather have a high bounty put on your head, meaning everyone knows how feared and dangerous you are, or have no want dead or alive ad allowing you to work in the shadows, but no one thinks you're any good at your job? I want a bounty. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll work in the shadows. Okay. <laughs> Just let me quietly go about my life. I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. I but think it would be uh, cool for people to think I'm a badass, but let's be real. You meet me and you're like, no, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> there's a good, there's something good about having a little bit of uh, people being afraid of you. <laughs> I think there's advantages to that because nobody messes is, with yeah. you. It is true. Maybe not a two thousand dollar bounty, but you know, like a fifty dollar bounty or something. No, like two thousand. Yeah, but if I saw fifty, I'd be like, "What's going on with this guy?" <laughs> like, I'd be like, "I can pick up fifty bucks and probably really easily. I'm going to do it." Like that. That's also, funny. I feel like if you were that good or fearsome as a bounty hunter, you would want to be taken out by another bounty hunter. You know. Like, yes, I don't want to yes. be chopping down a tree in the game. and then have that stump <laughs> fall on me. I'd rather be killed by somebody who knows what they're doing and be like, okay, you got me. You got me. It's like those serial killers who get caught by like, like they had a, like a light was out on their car and they get pulled over because of that. Yeah. It's like that thing where you're like, no, if I'm going to get taken down, like I want to get taken down properly, not from a stupid yeah. thing like that. Yeah. A warrior's I death. I get what you mean. Um, Jericho, what's, oh, sorry, Dakota, what was your, what would you answer for yourself, for your own question? Uh, I agree with both of you, but I'm going to pick, uh, Rachel's side of, I'd rather, uh, work in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> we already do, really. It's like, we just quietly work in the shadows. Um, Jericho, what is your would you rather question? Okay, bear with me. I spent uh, a lot of time thinking about this to make it interesting. It's a little bit long-winded. 
Okay. But would you rather spend a non-negotiable 24 hours with Michael Fassbender once a year for the rest of your life, but you don't know what day or time he shows up, and he's in character as one of his past movie roles, and you don't know who that'll be, it changes every year, <laughs> or have a horse as your main form of road transportation for a full year, but the fastest it can go is a truck. Huh. I was going to say first, best would you rather question, I think, that we've had. It came to me in a dream. The honestly, it came to me as I was falling asleep. And I was like, let me write very this down. Very appropriate for this movie, though. <laughs> it's very appropriate for this movie. Let me think. I'm going to. I would say the Michael Fassbender one, because that just sounds entertaining as hell to me. Yeah, but he'd want Steve Jobs to yell at you. (laughs) Hey, think of it this way. Uh, I'm at work. Michael Fassbender (laughs) comes and lighting things up. Uh, It's my birthday. Michael Fassbender comes and scares me. I'm at grandma's funeral. He's going to make me laugh and cry. Never know. So then who, who, which of his characters would be your like number one pick to hang out with? Magneto. (laughs) My God. That would be awesome. He's so sexy as Magneto. Even though he hates humans. Oh God, Rachel. It's fine. I hate people too. We will get along just fine. Um, I don't know. Maybe his character from Inglorious Bastards. Definitely not from uh, 12 Years a Slave. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> uh, he played uh, Carl Jung uh, in A Dangerous Method. So, you know, I can get some psychoanalysis from him. Yeah, that'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He's uh, He's got a weird range of characters. Yeah. Uh, Frank from the movie Frank. I don't know. That would be weird. That would be a it weird be one for weird. a funeral. Like, yeah. <laughs> 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 what about David from the Alien prequels? Oh, creepy. I'd be like... No, I, say, I, I could. I, I can't could come out today. That. I could do that. I could deal with that. Are you kidding me? I would say though, like the other option in your question would drive me nuts. Like to have a horse that can only trot would piss me off so much. Right? I, just, I knew like, you would hate that one because I know you drive. I would hate it because it would be. It's like walking behind slow people. You're like, get out of my right? way. And then our winters. It's, yeah, I would hate it. I would absolutely hate that. That would drive me nuts. But, but yeah, I, I would also just love to hang with the opportunity to hang with magneto maybe in the year <laughs> that'd be cool i take i take that which one would you take jericho oh the fast bender one of course yeah. i mean like i would be afraid of the 12 years of slave character yeah yeah hopefully but, that comes like early on and you yeah just get it out of the way or i'll just take an ambient and we're sleeping all day okay my would you rather I actually said, Dakota, you said like it was really difficult. I, there was a scene in the movie that happened and then I went, this is my would you rather because I'm really terrible at coming up with these. But once I saw this scene, it just clicked in my head. And this is very particular to you too. I can't really answer this question. Um, There's a scene where Silas sharpens his knife and then shaves uh, Jay, Cody, Cody Smith McPhee, Cody Smith McPhee. I don't know why I'm now struggling how to say his name. Um, shaves his face. And so would you rather be all for one year, 
you are always shaved by a bounty hunter. It doesn't have to be Fassbender, just, just a bounty hunter with this sharp blade or knife rather right to your face or not shave for one whole year. This would also depend on how well you guys grow facial hair, which I actually don't know the answer to that. I haven't, like, I've had a clean shaved face once in the last, I don't know, almost decade. Really? I don't shave. (laughs) So uh, growing uh, growing my beard for a year would probably drive me nuts, but uh, because I find after, I trim it down. So after about a week and a half, two weeks, I have to trim it. But I think if I had to do it for a full year, I probably can get past that, uh, the awkward stages. So growing it out. You wouldn't want a bounty hunter behind you with a knife. Is it just, no, is it no, the same not. bounty hunter every day or every time you shave? No, I'm going to say no. I didn't think about that, but no, it's a different bounty hunter. So 365 yeah, different bounty yeah. hunters. There's so many bounty hunters in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Honestly, I'll take the shave. I, so I've never gotten my face shaved, but those close shaves with like the blades, what are they called? Is it, um, there's like a particular Like the Sweeney Todd ones? Yeah. Well, there's like a particular a straight razor. Straight razor. Thank you. They seem really interesting to me. I don't know why. I just look at that and I go, wow, that seems like a cool way to get your face shaved because you typically do it at like a barber, right? Like a barber does it for yeah. you. Yeah. Which I find, I find that fun. No, I don't know if I would want like a knife to my face by a bounty hunter who you don't know because if it was the same bounty hunter then presumably but you don't they have a friendship don't they have codes like they can't kill you if you're not a bounty i'm thinking of the mandalorian <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say is does that exist is that a right thing? like this I is the know. way i i think for i don't know star wars well enough to to say whether or not those guys have a bound or those guys have a thing. I don't know. Yeah. I will say, cause I feel like the, the idea of star Wars has been like bubbling at the surface there. Every time you guys, uh, somebody has said Jay and Silas, it makes me think of Jay and silent Bob. <laughs> I keep thinking somebody's going to say that. And I'm like, Oh no, it's Jay and Silas. But anyways, um, yeah, Dakota, we did your, would you rather? Yes, we did. Yes. So that's, that's it. That's about that's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great ending. <laughs> yeah. Jericho, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. It was the podcast of a lifetime. <laughs> oh, that means so much to me. Well, I hope we can have you back. Uh, but before you go, I'd uh, love to know where people can find more of your work or if they want to follow you. And uh, do you have anything you want to promote? Um, no, please don't read my work. Please don't follow me. <laughs> no, that's sorry. <laughs> Hold on. Jericho is an incredible writer. Go to MovieWeb and look. You could just Google Jericho Tadeo MovieWeb and you'll see all of his articles on there. And they're all very, very great and spectacular. You just had a new, not a new one, but I, I was reading an interview that you did. I think that's your most recent thing. I have not written all summer. Every time like an assignment has come my way, I've been like, except for the Asian cut. It's been like, no, I don't want to do this. Don't want to write in the summertime. I did notice it. I think it's from. Oh, it must be from the springtime because I, I did read it though. But I thought it was very good. Thank you. But yeah. Yes, go, you can. You can find me at MovieWeb. You can find me at the Asian Cut. The Asian Cut work I am particularly proud of the most, just because um, the people there are great. Rachel is great, oh. um, and it's 
it's amazing to have a platform like you were saying to be able to speak to Asian cinema or cinema from the Asian diaspora and have a home for it. I'm, I'm I, I genuinely I I joke around a lot, but I genuinely am very 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 grateful for um everything because you have been at times single handedly putting new content on the site <laughs> when me Alicia and Rose are just like. Either where I don't know, just have things going on, and we're not able to to do it. But I mean, yeah, you have been uh, an incredible help that beyond what you will ever even know. We talk about you a lot in our meetings in, in very it. very positive terms. I always say, if university <laughs> taught me anything, it was how to read and write and how to do both fast. Because <laughs> I did a double major, and so there was no room to like slow down. Rachel, what about you? Where can people find you and what have you been working on? I'm on rachelho.com and at Twitter, underscore Rachel KH, Instagram, underscore Rachel KH. Uh, what have I done recently? I'm just going to keep promoting the uh, Steve Binder interview I did, who directed the Elvis 1968 special because. Oh, that one was yeah, a good very, one. Very happy with that. So, yeah, go and mm-hmm. read that and enjoy somebody who knew Elvis and worked with Elvis um, so many years ago. So that's enjoyable. Um, Jericho, what are your social media tags? Uh, Instagram is at Jericho Tadeo. Twitter is at Jericho Tadeo underscore. I hate that there's an underscore, but (laughs) it was taken. Um, I don't have a website. I did take pictures for a website and then didn't build the website. And, uh, (laughs) Yeah, those are my socials. I am very bad at social media. But I take okay pictures. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, <laughs> I take okay pictures. Well, nice. I'll make sure to link to all that in the show notes as well. And this has been a That Shelf podcast. Visit thatshelf.com for more great film discourse. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and threads at ContraZoomPod. Have you seen Slow West? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smell for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.